dismissed if you'd like. And the rest of y'all, you can stay with me. I have a word this morning I feel like the Lord has given me for us today. Long before I ever typed the first word, he knew who would be here in person. He knew who would be watching online. And I believe this is a word for all of us today. I know it's for me. Psalm chapter 3 we're going to read verses 1 through 8. If you have your, um, your Bible app on your phone or your tablet, Psalm chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. A Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. Selah. But you, O God, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill, Selah. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the tooth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. And one final, Selah. There is a story told of a man who, who sought to own a perfect picture of peace. And he couldn't find any that satisfied him. So he announced a contest to, for somebody to produce this masterpiece that he wanted. And the challenge stirred the imagination of artists everywhere. And paintings began to arrive from far and wide. Finally, the, the great day of revelation began, and judges uncovered one peaceful scene after another, and the viewers clapped and cheered as they uncovered them. And the tension grew as there were only two pictures, two paintings left that were still covered. And then as the judge pulled the cover from one, a hush fell over the crowd because what they saw was this mirror-smooth lake that reflected lacy green birches under the soft blush of the evening sky. And that was all along a grassy shore. And along that grassy shore, there was a flock of sheep that grazed undisturbed. And everyone thought, surely this is the winner. When the last painting was uncovered, the crowd gasped in surprise. This painting depicted a tumultuous waterfall cascading down a rocky cliff that was so realistic the crowd could almost feel its cold, penetrating spray. Stormy gray clouds threatened to explode with lightning in this painting, along with wind and rain. But in the middle of the thundering noises and the bitter chill of the water from the waterfall, the artist placed a single spindly tree that clung to the rocks at the bottom of the waterfall. 
one of its branches reached out in front of the torrential waters as if to foolishly seek out and experience its full power. A little bird had built its nest in the elbow of that branch. Content and undisturbed in her stormy surroundings, she rested on her eggs. With her eyes closed and her wings ready to cover her little ones, she manifested a peace that transcended all of the earthly turmoil that surrounded her. And that painting won the competition because it demonstrated the very essence of peace. You see, peace is not freedom from all troubles and problems. Instead, peace is the absence of worry even when you're right smack in the middle of troubles and problems. Although peace is readily available, it doesn't mean that peace is always an easy thing to grasp because peace can be an elusive thing. Many times we reach for it with our fingers trembling in times of trouble, and it seems to pull away from us. It seems so close, and yet it often remains just beyond our grasp. I think it's safe to say that we all want peace. We all want calmness and tranquility of spirit. That, that feeling that allows us to feel safe in the middle of a storm. And I will tell you that that kind of peace is available for God's people today. In this psalm, David shows us the, what that kind of peace looks like. And if we will learn what peace looked like in David's life, it can help us to know when we find it in our own life. As he did in many of his psalms, here in this psalm, David discussed both his pain and his peace, and in doing so, he declares the very source of his peace. So this morning, I want to look together at the thought of David, a story of peace in troubling times. Recently, we did a 12-part Bible study titled, The Life of David is Reflected in the Psalms. One of the things we looked at closely was the, the superscription at the beginning of various verses. While a lot of times we, we skip past that superscription and we just read the verses that follow, it's important to see what that says because it, it helps us to understand the context or what was happening in David's life when he wrote this particular psalm. In the superscription of this psalm we were reading today, we read that David is on the run from his son Absalom, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. It puts it in perspective. The book of 2 Samuel actually lays out the details of this story. And if we were to go there, we would see that Absalom had taken the kingdom away from his father, David. And at this point, that wasn't enough. Now he was trying to kill him. In addition to that, many of David's former friends had forsaken him and sided with Absalom. Among those conspirators was a man named Ahithophel, a man who at one time had been David's friend and confidant. And now Ahithophel was using his influence to discredit David and help Absalom consolidate his power in the kingdom. Ahithophel's betrayal 
surely must have stung David's heart. As David flees for his life, we read about another man named Shimei, Shimei, I'm sorry, who came out and cursed David saying this. He said, get out, get out, you murderer, you scoundrel. Shaking his fist. And then as David, that wasn't enough, as David and his men went by on the road, Shammai followed them from a distance and threw rocks at them and dirt at them and additional curses in David's direction. This is a former friend. As it was with Ahithophel, Shammai's hatred and anger must have been like a dagger in David's very soul. At this point in his life, David had some very determined and dangerous enemies who at one time had been his friends. David, speaking to these men, said, they rise up against me. The phrase rise up that is used here means to stand in the context of going to war. At this point in David's life, his enemies must have seemed to him like an army intent on his destruction. And in a way, they had declared war on David. And as a result, he felt hemmed in by not just his enemies, but by his trials. We all feel like that from time to time. Whether it's problems from people or from the day-to-day stresses of life, there are times when we too feel like we're under attack. And since trouble is part of living in this world, we need to know what to do when enemies and trials declare war on us. David did not allow the actions of his enemies or the problems that were piling up in his life to turn his heart away from God. That's important, and neither should we. The Bible is clear that troubles are going to come into our lives at some point. In Job 14.1, we read that man is born of woman, man who is born of woman, lives only a short time and is full of trouble. In John 16, Jesus himself said, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So even though we know that trouble will come, when they do, and they will, even though we know it's coming, sometimes it can leave us feeling helpless and maybe even hopeless. Just keep in mind that your enemies and your trials They do not have the final say in your life. They do not have the final say in what happens to you. The final say is in God's hands. And he can be trusted to do what is right all the time, every time. Of all the things that was going on in his life, I have to believe what really broke David's heart here is what they said about his faith. When his enemies said, there is no help for David in God. It indicated they believed that God wasn't real. And as a result of that, David would not receive any help from his so-called God. In their minds, David had no relationship with God. So in essence, they were saying, David has been abandoned by his God. Not even his God can save him now. But David knew better. He knew his faith in God was real. He knew that God would help him. 
He knew that even in the midst of impossible torment, God was with him and would ultimately give him victory. And I feel that's why David chose to close this section out with the word Selah. We have talked about the various thoughts on the meaning of the word Selah. And probably the best definition would be to stop and think about what was just said. We read a passage, and then it's like, okay, now stop and think about what was just said. There's a Bible commentator named John Phillips. He writes that to him, it means there. What do you think about that? David knew his enemies were trying to destroy him physically and to discredit him spiritually. But David knew the truth. He knew where his help came from. So he addressed his enemies. He addressed what they were saying and replied, But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. You see, David teaches us exactly what we are to do when trouble comes. And that is to take the issues of of our life, take them to the Lord in prayer. You see, David couldn't fix his situation any more than you can fix yours. So he took the best steps he could possibly take. He took his problems to the Lord. That's a good strategy for God's people to take. In fact, it's the only strategy for God's people to take. That's what we're told to do in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends or surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Prayer is our refuge, our source of help in all the negative moments of life. Don't carry your burdens around with you. Take them to the Lord and let him have them. Because he is far better equipped to handle what comes your way than you are. That I can assure you from experience. Even while he was running from his enemies, David understood a great truth. He knew that despite the evidence that his eyes could see, there was a God he could not see who was working in his life. David understood that his protection and his provision would not come from an army. It would not come from a friend. It would not come from some human savior. So just as he did before he faced Goliath, David took his problems to the only one who could help him. He took his issues to the Lord. Here's why. David knew that regardless of how things appeared at the time, God would provide him with everything he needed. Everything he needed to survive and thrive in every trouble he would encounter. David expressed his confidence in God by using three specific images to describe God's God's work in his life. The first of these is God was his shield. The phrase, but you, O God, are a shield for me, in verse 3, literally means, but you, O God, are a shield around me. Back in ancient times, when a warrior went into battle, they had their shield on their left hand. I guess most of them were right hand. That's where they had their sword. I would have been the weird one. But they went into battle with their shield on their left hand, and they depended on that shield 
to protect the front of their body and depended on the warrior who fought on either side of them to protect their left and right flank. But David is saying here that God, as his shield, covers him from all angles. In other words, David was saying that my enemies can't get to me unless they go through God first. David knew that God had him covered. He is our shield as well. God controls what lies in front of us, behind us, around us, above us and below us. He has us covered from every angle. We can trust God to protect us even in the heat of battle. We can rest in his protection and we can face any foe that would come our way because he is our shield. The next thing David acknowledged was that God was his glory. The word glory carries with it the idea of honor and exaltation. And I would tell you, looking at where David was when he wrote this, he's pretty much anything but honored and exalted at this point in his life. He's lost his throne. His own family and friends have turned on him, and now he is, he's fleeing for his life with this ragtag bunch of followers. This was, without a doubt, one of the hardest moments in David's life. And yet, David knew when he faced trouble in his life now, the day would come when God would once again raise him up to a place of honor. David was holding on to the promises that God had made him in the past. And he knew that a period of glory would follow this time of humility. You might go through some tough times. They might be even things that feel like they knock you down completely. And maybe you feel humiliated by everyone around you. But I assure you that God is still your glory. And if you will trust him and if you will follow him, he will raise you back up to the place where he wants you to be. The world does not have the final say. There is no person in the world that has the final say. My God has the final say. The truth we find in this has encouraged people for thousands of years. As we've already discussed, this world is a place of, it's a place of trials and troubles. And those troubles can, they can humble us. They can even take us to a place of breaking us. But by the word of God, we know that those troubles will not last forever. There will come a day when troubles, trials, the burdens of life will fade away. And when they do, we will go to a place that Paul described in Philippians 1.23, a place he described as being better by far than this old world we're living in right now. It's a place described in Revelation 21.4 21, as a place where God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, a place where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And when that happens, oh, when that happens, we will experience his glory firsthand. I'm reminded of some other words that David wrote in Psalm 35. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. One day, all of the tears and the pain of life, all of those things will be behind us, and we will stand with Jesus on the mountains of glory. So, child of God, I say to you today, whatever you're going through, endure the night. 
because daylight will be here before you know it. Rejoice. And finally, David acknowledges that God is the one who lifts up his head. I think this is particularly interesting, the words that he uses here. This phrase is the, it's the image of a man who is feeling broken, defeated, and cast down, much the way we would expect David to be right about now. He is an overthrown king. He's a fugitive. He is a man on, run, on the run for, for his own life from his own son. And while the current trials of his life maybe had served to defeat him just a bit, to humiliate him and maybe even discourage him, David knew that a better day was coming. He knew the same God who had placed him on the throne to begin with could and would do it again. He knew that God would stand behind every promise that he had ever made to him. The phrase, the one who lifts up his head, literally means to be raised up to a place of authority. And David knew this valley he was in, this trial he was going through, this struggle, it would end. And he would once again sit on the throne as the king of Israel. Did it mean his problems went away? No. He just knew they wouldn't last forever. And he knew they wouldn't last forever because he knew God's promises were true. And they still are today. If we think about it, I probably just described a lot of people we meet, both in church and out in the world. Because we live in a world full of broken people. People who often feel used up and defeated. But listen to me when I say this. If you feel that way today, you need to remember that God has the final say in all matters of life. A better day is coming. The Lord is always working on your behalf, and he will accomplish his eternal purpose in your life, in my life. He will accomplish his eternal purpose in all of our lives if we will trust him and place him first in life. You see, David's enemies sneered. They insinuated that God would not help him. But you know what? God did help him. David was not a perfect man. He knew his past was filled with sin and guilt and blood. I'm sure he had a lot of time to think when he was hiding out from Absalom, chasing him. As we studied in the, the Bible studies, the 12-week Bible study, he spent a lot of time in caves, I believe in those, some of those times he had plenty of time to think back on what he had done to Bathsheba and Uriah, her husband, as well as some other failures along the way. But even in that situation with Uriah and Bathsheba, when God sent the prophet Nathan to confront David of his sin, David revealed the true character of his heart because he listened to the words of the prophet. His heart was convicted. He cried out to God in repentance and the Lord forgave him. So now, David knew that if God had, just, had spared him from that ugly episode, he wouldn't fail to hear him now. and He wouldn't fail to help him now. And I believe that is why David closes this section once again with the word Selah. It's like he looked at his enemies he listened to their slander. 
And then as he remembered how great his God is, he looked at them and said, there, what do you think about that? I'm sure the devil had a great time beating David over the head with his past defeats. And he had plenty. Sometimes the worst enemy we have is ourself. And the devil will use the past. And he will take our past. And about the time we start dozing off in the middle of the night, he comes along and whack. You remember that time when you did that? We start to doze off again. Whack. What about that time when you did that, when you said that? You see, when we repent, and the Bible says that our sins are not remembered us against us anymore, that's talking about God. It ain't talking about the devil because he remembers them and he will use them against you. But you can go back and say, I know that my sins are gone. He that the Son is set free is free indeed. Not my words. And I believe at those times when we remind the devil and we tell him, my sins are forgiven. They're gone. God does not remember them against me. I believe that's when we can look at the devil and say, there, what do you think about that? What we need to remember is that the God who saved us, when we called on him by faith, is not about to abandon us now. He didn't bring us this far to leave us. If our trust is firmly in God, let me repeat that. If our trust is firmly in God, he will stand with us, fight with us, love us, and keep us until we are safely home in heaven. Amen. His promises to us are profound. His promises to us are clear. We are safe in him, and that is reason to praise him, and that is enough reason to give him glory. I love this next verse. And when we went over this particular verse in, in the Bible study series, it spoke to me like it had never before. In verse 5, we read that in, even in the middle of all this confusion and trouble, God gave David rest. David is in a terrible place. His life is in great danger. His own son is trying to kill him. Some of his closest friends have turned on him. He is away from home, living in caves, away from the house of God, and away from all the family who still supported him. But in spite of all of those things, he was able to lay down and sleep because he knew that God was in control of the situation. Verse 5 says, the Lord sustained him. That word as, it used, as it's used here means to give confidence and support. So God gave him confidence and supported him so he could lay down and go to sleep. 
God's promises and his presence gave David the confidence to leave all these problems in his hands. David was able to trust the Lord when everything seemed to be against him. And listen to me today. He can and will do the same thing for you. That kind of peace is a rare commodity in our world today. But that is the same kind of peace, that is the same kind of peace that God gave David. In John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And we read that verse and it resounds with us when things are going great. But too many times when things are going like they are in David's life, we read that verse and we go, must not apply to me. Or I wouldn't be here. Remember, peace is not the absence of trouble. It's being able to stand secure no matter what's going on around us. This verse, this verse is true no matter what is going on in your life. Because it's not the kind of peace that the world gives. If you've ever experienced that kind of peace, then you know what kind of peace David was talking about. Maybe you feel like your world is in turmoil right now. Nothing seems to be going like you think it should. But as David did, when your trust is in God, when you reflect on what God has done in the past, how he has never failed you, you can lay your head on a pillow at night, you can go to sleep because you know that God is always up, he is always active, and he is always working on your behalf. And if you know God is awake and working in your needs, you can sleep and rest in that knowledge. When that kind of peace eludes you, go to the Lord and ask him to give you that kind of peace that we read about in John 14, 27. And then rest in him. Back in the days of World War II, there was a time when the Germans were bombing London pretty much every night, all night. After one terrible attack, the people of London began to search through the rubble looking for the dead and the injured. After a while, everyone had been accounted for except one particular grandmother, a lady whose name literally was Mrs. Smith. They searched everywhere for her. And finally, someone found her in her bedroom asleep in her bed. They were shocked and asked her, Mrs. Smith, how could you sleep with all those bombs dropping around you? Her answer was priceless. She said, well, the Bible says that he, keeps, he who keeps Israel never slumbers or sleeps. So I decided there was no use in both of us staying up. So I just went to sleep and left it in the Lord's hands. It seems that's what David did here. God, I can't do anymore, but you can. I can't change people, but you can. I can't fix this mess, but I know you can because you have proven to me over and over that you are faithful. So I'm just going to go over here, and I'm going to take a nap, and I'm going to rest. Psalm 3, 5. Write that down. That's a good one 
to read in the middle of the night when you can't sleep. David's faith in God allowed him to have courage even when he was faced with overwhelming opposition. David knew that God would rise up and deal with his enemies. He didn't have to do it on his own, but he knew that it would happen when the time was right. Verse 7 suggests that even though David was in the middle of, of trials, he was able to speak and act as though his enemies had already been defeated. Think about that. He spoke in faith. That is what faith looks like. That is the outlook of a heart that is anchored in the promises of God. And that would be a good place for all of us to come to. A place where we refuse to focus on the problem. And the reason we refuse to focus on the problem is because our eyes are on the problem solver. That is the place we need to be. I will tell you that that place is available to God's people. When we find it, when we come to the place where we understood that all of our issues and we understand that all of our issues are in, in the hands of the Lord and that he can handle them far better than we ever could, that's when we'll find peace. So today, would you let the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the presence of God remind you that God is in control of every aspect of your life? Let those truths reassure your heart and then rest in them. You see, it really doesn't matter how things look through your eyes. It really doesn't matter how things look in your mind. Because they will all look different when you come to the place where you can see them through the eyes of faith. We sing an old song from time to time that says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That means we focus not on the problem, but on the problem solver. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Look at him. It's kind of like in a movie where you see somebody that's, that's having to walk across maybe a narrow piece of wood and the other person's already gone to the other side. And they've got to make that trip, and they don't want to because they're scared. But the person over on this side, they're standing there saying, come on, come on, come on, you can do it, come on. And then they usually say these words, look at me, look at me. Don't look down, look at me, you can do it. And that's what God is saying to us today. Look at me. Look at me. Put your eyes on me. Stop looking at the problem. Stop looking at the trial. Stop looking at people. Look at me. In verse 8, David closes out this psalm by praising the Lord for his ability to rescue his people. David says, your blessing 
focus on your people. In spite of how life might appear, remind yourself that God, even in the darkest hours, is actively blessing his people. Remind yourself that whatever appears to be a negative in the hands of God becomes a positive. My friend, Pastor Alan Carr, said it like this. He said, often our burdens turn out to be blessings in disguise. What you see depends on where you stand. The right vantage point makes all the difference in how things appear. We should ask the Lord to give us the vantage point of faith so that we can learn to see life through his eyes. And if and when we do that, we'll be able to rejoice in the Lord regardless of what's happening around us. And when we do, we won't have to wait for times to get better before we give him praise and glory that he deserves. When we do, we can look at our trials and say, as David did in Psalm 3.8, your blessing is upon your people. And more specifically, we can look at your, our trials and say, your blessing is upon me. psalm should serve as a blessing to the people of God because it teaches us that we can rejoice even in the midst of our problems. It reminds us that God is in control of our situations. It reminds us that God is working ahead of us and accomplishing His will in our lives and when the time is right, He will reveal His solution to our situation. In the meantime, we can bring our burdens to him. We can ask him for whatever we need to turn our backs on the trials. He can give us whatever we need to stop looking at the problem and help us to set our eyes and our faith on him. That's what David did. And since God hasn't changed, that is what we can do today. And the question I would have in closing today, will you allow God to help you do that today? Would you stand? We're going to sing in just a minute as we as they sing there's probably not a person in this building who either is struggling with something has been struggling with something and without a doubt, there is not a person in this room that at some point will be struggling with something. Because that's what life says. That's what Jesus said. In this life, you, you will have trouble. But don't lose heart. I've overcome the world. If you are struggling today, would you come and just ask the Lord, Lord, 
Help me to focus my eyes on you, to get my eyes on you. Maybe you need prayer. We will pray with you today. We'll pray for you. Whatever it is you need today, these altars are open. If you've made, never made a start to live for the Lord, today's a good day to do that. Today is a good day to come and repent and make him the Lord of your life. As we sing, would you come this morning?